Hello and welcome to Handels Bank and Insights. I'm Sonia Rothwell. On this week's economic update, we'll be looking at the recent revised figures on UK economic growth. Plus, we'll talk about what we've learned about the impact of financial conditions on the UK savings. And as you know, we keep a keen eye on inflation figures here on the podcast, and we're going to have a chat about different views on inflation and what that means for where it's likely to go. Joining me is Daniel Marnie, Handelsbank in UK, economist. So, Daniel, sometimes we have busy weeks, sometimes we have less busy weeks, but there's always something to talk about, isn't there? So we had a revision on the figures for UK's economic growth. What did they show? Yeah, so we had figures for Q4 come out last week. And as you said, there were final figures. What they showed is that in Q4, on a quarter on quarter basis, uh, GDP was up by 0.1%. So that was revised up from the initial figure of just 0%. Now, very anemic growth, of course. But nonetheless, it did confirm that we avoided a recession at the end of 2022. And it actually looks like we probably won't see a recession in 2023. So despite it being quite modest, actually kind of showing flatlining growth, it really does show that uh, the prospects for the UK economy are quite a bit better now than they were being projected before. If we look back further, there are some interesting trends in what's happening with the UK economy. So since since 2016, if you compare growth rates here uh, to the rest of the G7, we're about in the middle of the pack. But what's very noticeable is that post-pandemic, the UK really has been the underperformer. And in fact, despite this 0.1% growth in quarter four Q on Q, the UK still isn't above its pre-pandemic GDP level. And it's unique in that amongst all G7 countries. I was reading that the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, which, among other things, produces economic data, is predicting that our GDP will fall by 0.2% in 2023, which is the lowest figure in the G7, which which bears out what you've just been saying. I mean, do you think that's overly pessimistic? I think it probably is overly pessimistic. Obviously, just by the nature of these things, forecasts are often quite dated. You'll remember that the IMF, of course, not too long ago, were predicting minus 0.8% for the UK economy. And a lot of these projections were made before energy prices came down quite considerably, before we saw the quite positive PMI figures, The UK PMI figures, for example, are actually on par with uh, the Eurozone. So the other thing to note is that uh, forecasters since 2016 have actually been too pessimistic on the UK in aggregate. I suspect there'll be some revisions upwards, but at the same time, I wouldn't expect anything heroic. We're probably going to see flatlining growth uh, across this year uh, rather than anything better than that. And I've got to say, we've got to hold our hands up here though don't we Dan because we were at at Handels Bank and we we weren't overly optimistic last year with our predictions we did think there was going to be a recession in in 2023 but uh, it but happily it's it although it's as you said anemic it's still a much more positive picture than we were predicting but that's absolutely right as you say anemic is better than uh, full-on contraction and you know even if we were having this conversation a couple of months ago The baseline case for almost all forecasters was that the UK was going to go into recession either at the end of last year or the beginning of this year. And while growth has been choppy, it's going up and down, it's very unlikely that we'll see two consecutive negative quarters of economic growth, which would obviously be the technical definition of a recession. What do you think has caused it? Why do you think there's been this change when there was a 
overall people were were not optimistic about our prospects? I, I would say two factors. Uh, the first is simply that uh, energy prices have come down uh, much more than expected, both in the spot and the futures market. That's in large part because we've had a milder winter, but various other factors have been more sanguine. And as I previously said, I think forecasters have generally been a bit too downbeat on the UK. Um, and I think they were probably sort of slightly overly pessimistic about the prospects. Um, another factor is, I suppose, that if we look at the budget, there was a bit of fiscal loosening there, about 1% of GDP. So I think that will have a bit of a positive boost to economic growth in the short term. Let's hope that it's a foundation that we, we can start building on and and we do have a, a, a better year than expected. Now, the second topic we were going to discuss, which is linked to the economic conditions that, that the UK faces at the moment, is savings. You've been looking at the, at the savings situation in the UK at the moment. What have you found? Yeah, so just, just to give a bit of context about this, during the pandemic, both households and businesses accumulated quite a bit of excess savings. Uh, and that's simply because there just weren't the opportunities uh, to spend money because of lockdowns, etc. Now, what's happened for a while since the pandemic is that there's been a lot of hoarding of those savings, both from businesses and households. But that situation is now beginning to change. And it is uh, subtly different between businesses and households. So in terms of households, it's estimated that about £200 billion of excess savings were accumulated. They are primarily weighted towards the upper bits of the, the income distribution. Um, you know, those households were hoarding onto uh, those savings for a little while, but you are seeing uh, some of those savings seem, seeming to be spent in the economy. And that could be potentially because those households want to maintain their purchasing power. But if you look at businesses, uh, savings seem to be being depleted at a faster rate. And I think there's quite a clear reason why that's the case. If you look at effective interest rates that are facing businesses and households, the effective interest rate faced by businesses has really shot up uh, very, very quickly. Whereas with households, it's going up much more slowly. Now, the reason for that is, is that most households on mortgages are on fixed rate mortgages, whereas the majority of businesses and business loans are on floating rate. So in terms of businesses, about 80% of business loans in this country are floating rate, which means the higher interest rate environment hits them immediately. And that obviously gives some incentive for businesses to pay down debts before they're hit by those interest rates. The other factor, of course, is the super deduction, which was removed uh, in April. A lot of businesses wanted to get in before then to invest and offset their tax bill accordingly. And I think that probably reflects uh, some of the drop we've seen in savings on businesses as well. So turning to inflation, as I said, we do like talking about inflation and it has been in the headlines a bit too much over the past few years for our liking. But it's quite interesting. We do talk about a single rate of inflation, don't we? At the moment, obviously, it's it's high at 10.4%. But not everybody experiences inflation in their daily lives at the same rate. How, how can that be? Yeah, that's absolutely right. The main reason for that is that different items are being inflated at very, very different rates. So just to give two extremes, household energy and water bills for February 23, the annual increase in those bills was nearly 30%, whereas transport bills were only 3%. 
So if you spend a greater proportion of your income on energy bills, or indeed food and drink, which has an uh, inflation rate of 18% at the moment, your effective inflation rate is going to be higher than someone who spends a lower proportion of their income on those items. So I think that's, that's primarily why. And as I say, there is this massive spread uh, in terms of how different items uh, are facing inflation. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting also, you're an economist, but different disciplines have different views about what inflation is going to do. Our colleagues in the markets have different views. Why, why do you see that figure so differently? Yeah, I mean, and you can even see the main forecasters in this country have quite different views. So the OBR, for example, thinks that inflation is going to come right down to 2.9% by year end, whereas the Bank of England thinks it will be above 4% by year end. Uh, so as I say, even with our uh, main institutions that are you know, tasked with doing this, they have difference of views. Forecasting is a very, very difficult thing and, and is notoriously unreliable. Um, it obviously depends on what assumptions you put into models and people put emphasis on different things. And that's why you get different answers. I think everyone is agreed that we are going to see quite a significant fall in inflation. And we've We've gone through the factors at numerous times, so energy prices coming down, world food prices coming down, shipping costs coming down, supply chain disruption uh, lowering. So that will all feed into uh, lower inflation. But again, it's, it's the scale that's, that's the question. There is an interesting figure which is looking at household expectations of inflation. And very encouragingly, those have actually come down in 2023 in terms of what households think inflation will be in 12 months' time. That's a very good sign because in terms of the way consumers perceive inflation, that's actually quite important in terms of the way inflation actually uh, plays out. It's so interesting. It shows people the, the same the same data and they come up with a completely different estimation. But at least we're all agreed that we think it's heading in the same direction. It's just the magnitude of, of that fall that we're probably you know working out is there anything else in particular that's caught your eye this week yeah just just one thing and it's it will seem like a bit of a bespoke matter but i think it could potentially affect the uk and, and indeed lots of other western markets it's this potential pivot in japanese monetary policy so uh, there's been very loose monetary policy right across the western world over the 2010s but particularly so in japan and they still have quite loose monetary policies. They haven't gone on this interest rate hiking cycle that other Western central banks have. Now, that this might be changing. So uh, the central bank governor in Japan is changing. And there is a talk that there's going to be a pivot towards tighter monetary policy. Now, this could have implications because of the volume of investments that come from Japanese investments abroad. So just to give a bit of context for that, 5% of UK bonds are actually owned by Japanese investors. And if uh, monetary policy becomes tighter in Japan, that could make domestic investments in Japan more attractive. And potentially it could mean that money that's invested internationally at the moment could end up becoming invested in Japan. And that has the potential to cause a bit of turbulence in markets. Now, I don't want to overplay this. This is not, this is not a move that's going to happen overnight. It's certainly a process that will take time. But nonetheless, it's something that's been talked about quite a bit uh, and I think it's something just to be aware of. Uh, certainly our listeners should be aware of. So it's something that we're going to keep an eye on and um, just see how, how that plays out. Well, thanks as ever, Dan, for that. 
very interesting stuff. Thanks for listening to Handles Bank and Insights. If you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on the app while you're listening because it does help other people find us. You can follow us too, like hundreds of other people have done. You might also want to share this episode on social media and we'll see you next time.